Thank you, worship team. Let's take our Bibles and uh, have them open, ready to look at things. We're going to be going through various passages of Scripture this morning um, as we look into God's Word. Kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. They already knew that. Uh, Just a reminder, if you're new to us, we do have an outline that's in the bulletin that follows along with the sermon, and it has some fill-in-the-blanks, so we would invite you, if you are so inclined, to uh, use the outline to follow along with the sermon. We're doing a series that we have entitled, You Asked For It, and this is a series where the congregation asked various questions, and we, as a staff, have selected those questions, and we are working on working through those um, together. Now, this morning, the question that we're going to be looking into is one that I'm often asked as a pastor, and that is this, how do I determine God's will on something? I have options, I have opportunities. How do I make a godly decision in the options that are presented to me? You know, as a pastor, I'm probably asked that question as much as I'm asked any question because we want to make sure that we make good decisions, godly decisions, that we won't come back at a later point and really regret a decision that we've made because it wasn't the right one. So a lot of times Christians struggle with this and they struggle intensely. So what we're going to do this morning is look at the Bible as to how it guides us in making good decisions, decisions that will be in keeping with something that would be pleasing to God and good for us. So let's look at that together. First, we're going to begin with this. There's a lot of confusion about discerning God's will. And here's the concern. Does God have a perfect will for me? Now, if you look at that picture on the slide there. There's a circle with a dot in the middle. Many people approach God's will in this way. The circle represents the moral will of God. That is what Scripture tells us is right or wrong. And listen, when we make a decision, we don't have to spend one second deciding whether we should do it if it's outside God's moral will, right? If God has told us that we aren't to do something, then we aren't to do it. If God tells us we are to do something, then we are to do it. So outside the circle, we don't have to make a decision. God has given us guidance concerning what we should do and what we shouldn't do as far as His moral will. But what about the non-moral decisions that we have to make? What about decisions like, what book should I read next? What about monumental decisions like, I have some options in looking into a new line of work. Should I pursue those options or should I stand back? Those are all big decisions. And what is taught a lot of times in Christian circles, excuse the pun, is this, that God has a perfect will right smack dab in the middle of of His moral will, and my responsibility as a Christian is to somehow discover that perfect will. And here's the stick that goes along with that carrot. If I somehow miss the perfect will of God, then I will get God's second best, and I'm doomed to never experience all that I could experience if I could have just found that dot, be at the center of God's will, find that perfect will for me. 
And so a lot of Christians really stress over that, and they really wonder, how do I find that dot? How do I live according to God's perfect will? And they seek it, and they long for it, and they wonder about it. None of us want to, after a decision, look back and say, oops, I muffed it. I missed that perfect will. And so there's a great deal of fear associated with this viewpoint as to how we find God's will. Something else, there are often scriptures that people point to that tell us that we need to know what the will of God is. For instance, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Paul talking to the church at Colossae, and what he's praying for them is this. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, what many people do is they will take a verse like this and say, God wants us to know his will, and my responsibility is to discover it in a specific area. However, what they do in applying this verse to that principle is misunderstand this verse. This verse, in actuality, isn't talking about knowing the will of God as far as discovering it in a decision concerning options. What it's really talking about is knowing His will that's been revealed in Scripture and understanding what the Scripture says about moral truth, about God, about so many of the things that Scripture reveals. It's really God's revealed will rather than this elusive dot that we were talking about a little bit earlier. And so it says, and so walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, here we have this model. I need to discover God's will for me in specific areas. How do I do that? Well, what we find is very often there is very subjective information given to us by well-meaning believers as to how we discover God's will. And we find ourselves often in a quandary because it's hard to find an objective answer when I have to make a decision about a career change, make a decision about what school to attend if you're a college student looking into where to go to school. Uh, many of the decisions in our life, they just aren't spelled out in Scripture, so how do I make a decision? How do I move in the right direction? Well, there are many approaches, and one of those approaches is feelings. Some people will say, when it's God's will, you'll just know it. How many of you have heard that? A lot of us, right? When it's God's will, you'll just know it. Here's the problem. Feelings are very subjective, aren't they? As a matter of fact, what I've seen sometimes as somebody is trying to make a decision is they're conflicted. I feel this way about it. Now, was it a bad meal that produced this particular feeling? Was it my background that caused me to have this particular feeling? Is it my own desire that I'm trying to mask as the will of God is why I'm having this feeling? Or is it something that God is producing in me, a quiver in my liver, so that I can know that this is the direction that God wants me to go? Feelings are very subjective, and they're very hard to interpret. And so trying to make a decision based on feelings can be very, very confusing. Another approach 
to finding God's will is signs. They take the Gideon approach. And what we do very often in making a decision is we set up a very arbitrary system where if God does this, then I'll know this. And so basically what we expect God to do is do what we require of Him to show us the direction that we want to go. But isn't that subjective as well? You see, if I'm telling God a sign that I expect Him to perform in order for me to know the direction I should take, I can stack the deck. Lord, if you want me to do this, then let my foot continue in my walking process. Don't stop me. Okay, then I know this is what you want me to do. See, we can set up signs, we can set up decisions that stack the deck in our favor. Same thing goes if, if we don't want to do something. God, if it's your will that I continue, then let me walk through this barrier right here. Change my molecular structure so that I can go through this. Okay, I know that's not where you want me to go. Do you see what I'm saying? We can set up signs that are very, very subjective. And here's the other thing. When Gideon asked for signs from God, that was not a good thing. He wasn't being faithful. He wasn't taking God at His revealed will, right? He was basically challenging God's Word when He asked for those signs. Now, here's another one. Open doors, closed doors. How many of you have heard that I make decisions by open and closed doors? Probably most of us, right? Well, let's talk about that for a moment. Subjectivity. Is the door closed or is it simply ajar? Do I push through the door and I'm not going to get God's will because I'm not pushing hard enough? Or do I need to just accept it and back away from it and say, oh, this wasn't the direction that God wanted me to go in? There's a lot of confusion with that, isn't there? What decision is right? Which one is best with open and closed doors? Think about this. There are people all over the world who have to make decisions that will put them at risk when it comes to their faith. Right? The persecuted church, the country that they live in, puts closed doors everywhere in front of them, right? But what they choose to do is go ahead and share the gospel and bust through the closed doors that man puts in their way because God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So they are being obedient to God's will even though there are closed doors in front of them. So this idea that I make a decision on the basis of an open door or closed door, and then it really gets confusing because I've even heard people say, well, if God closes a door, He always opens a window. So then I'm like, oh, i got to not only think about doors, but i got to think about windows. This is confusing. How do I make a decision? And here's another one. Misapplication of Scripture. There are some people who, te- who, who, who treat Scripture almost like a fortune cookie or their daily horoscope. I have a monumental decision to make, so what I'm going to do is... Point my finger to heaven, and where it comes down, God will give me insight from the Scripture. 
And so they make a decision on the basis of some insight that their finger arbitrarily lands on, and that tells them what they should do. I'll give you an example. Paula and I had very close friends uh, when we were in college who lived in Huntington, West Virginia, and that's right on the Ohio River, and right across the Ohio River is Ohio. (laughs) So, They're trying to make a decision about a wise investment in property. Do we buy in West Virginia or do we buy in Ohio? And so they said, you know, this morning I read in my devotions that Israel crossed the Jordan. We live in Huntington right now, so God is telling us to move to Ohio. I don't think that's what the Scripture meant when the Holy Spirit inspired that. Be careful. Don't don't take Scripture out of context and build a decision on something that you just arbitrarily come across in Scripture. We have to be careful about making decisions on that basis. So, all of these subjective ways of discerning God's perfect will, let's critique that model that says there's a dot that we have to hit that's right in the center of God's moral will, and we're responsible to discover it. First of all, you can't seek God's perfect will in every decision. Let me give you an example. How many of you prayed about which sock to put on first this morning? How many of you prayed about which leg of your pants you start with? How many of you prayed about whether you should come in the front entrance or the rear entrance of the church. At some point, there are decisions that we make that just don't fall under the auspices of, I need to know God's will on this, right? So that makes it even more subjective. What are the decisions that I need to pray about, and what are the decisions that I just make a decision in? When I'm faced with that, that can be even more confusing. I need a sign so that I'll know what to pray about and what not to pray about. That that, that gets so confusing. It's almost impossible to figure out something else. Sometimes we feel that there's a catastrophe if God's perfect will isn't found. We are often taught that if you don't find God's perfect will in your career or in who you marry or any of these things, if if you don't find that dot somehow, you're doomed to a life of failure in that area. You'll never know God's best. But there's a logical problem with that model. Let's take marriage, for instance. Person A is supposed to marry person B, but they miss the boat and marry person C. You know what that means? That A and C married the wrong people, so the people that A and C were supposed to marry will marry the wrong people, and the person that person B was supposed to marry will marry the wrong person, and then the person that they married that was supposed to marry someone else will marry the wrong person. Do you see where I'm going with this? One wrong decision in who they should marry, and the whole world is thrown off kilter. There's a problem with that view, with that approach, logically. So we have to be careful not to put into effect a decision-making process that doesn't reflect sound reason. Something else. Sometimes there are contradictory views 
that occur with strong seekers. Again, I'm going to go back to my college days. And uh, Paula had this Bible study. I didn't clear this with her, so I hope it's okay. And they were beautiful girls in this Bible study. In fact, and she'll kill me for this, but I think it's worth it because it's funny. They called them Charlie's Angels. Now, those of you who are older can appreciate that, the TV show Charlie's Angels. And she's shaking her head. I'm I'm in trouble when I get home. I should have prayed about whether or not to use that illustration. And one of the girls in her group, not nearly as pretty as Paula, I might point out, but she was very pretty. Her name was Jennifer. There was a guy in our group, as you know, in college I was involved in Campus Crusade for Christ. So there's this guy named Lloyd. And Lloyd wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. He was rather plain and really didn't have much of a personality. But God told him that Jennifer was going to be his wife. Yeah, you and about 50 other guys, Lloyd. You know, come on. Now, Jennifer hadn't received that word from God. (laughs) And so, Jennifer and Lloyd never got together. (laughs) Uh, They did not get married. But do you see what I'm driving at? There are times where, where people can arbitrarily and sincerely believe that God is leading to the, some, them to something, and other people that are involved in that decision don't see it that way. I've seen it happen in church business meetings where somebody says, I really believe God is leading us in this way, and there are those in the church who will say, no, I believe God's leading us in this direction. And sometimes, don't people make irresponsible decisions and blame their irresponsible decision on God told me? To do this. They use it as a trump card. And it can lead to very poor decision making. So we have to be careful about how we make those decisions. One other critique of this view. We carry an awful heavy load in trying to discern what God's perfect will is. Think about it. If I can't discover what God's perfect will for me is in a given decision, and I'm doomed to never have God's best if I don't find it, man, that's a heavy load. That's a lot to carry. Because some of our decisions not only affect me as an individual, but my family. And so I could start my family into a course of decision-making that's going to be a catastrophe for them and for me, and we carry this heavy, heavy burden, this heavy, heavy load. It's very much like what Paul talks about as far as carrying the load of the law, and he described it in this way, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is filled fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The idea is, you know, we feel a bondage, if you will, to making the right decision that may not be the direction that God wants us to make a decision in any way. And so, 
we're under this yoke. We're held captive by fear and confusion as we try to make a decision. So that brings us to the crux of the question. How then do I determine God's will? And what I want us to do is look at from Scripture what Scripture says in regard to decision-making. And so what I did is, rather than giving you the same letter, those of you that are filling out the outline, we're going to choose biblically. So here's what we have. We have God's moral will. That represents the circle. But we have many decisions, many options that are within there. And we can make any one of those decisions and still be within the will of God. There's not that horrible horrible, compelling nature that I have to find a perfect will. Let me submit this to you. There are times when I make an unwise decision that I think God uses to teach me more than if I had made a better decision. God walks us down a path of growth, and that involves the freedom as a child of God to make decisions within His moral will on the basis of biblical principles. So let's talk about this word, choose. The first part of choose is consult God's Word. Make sure that the decision that I make isn't in some way a breach of God's will. For instance, I'm thinking about marrying somebody who isn't a believer. God's Word has already spoken to that. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So that decision suddenly is off the table because there's guidance from God's moral will. The Scripture talks about how we are to function within the moral will of God. For instance, we find that in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, that is, showing me where I'm getting off the path, for correction, getting me back on the path, and for training in righteousness, staying the path. Listen, I firmly believe that as believers, when we're making decisions, if I can decide to be obedient to God, that's a huge decision. And that's what God wants from us first and foremost. Something else. When I see what the Word says, then I'm to do it. I don't have to pray about whether or not I should share my faith. God in His Word has told me to share my faith. Simple. James says this, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like the man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks at the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he would be blessed in his doing. So, we have the Word of God. When I'm making a decision, I look into the Word of God and I see, is there Scripture that speaks to the options so that I can eliminate some of the options that I'm looking at? 
because they're outside of God's moral will. The H in choose. Hear what godly counselors have to say. Listen, when you have a big decision that you need to make, go to godly people who know God's Word, who have some time on planet earth that is longer than yours, who have had experience in making a decision in the area that you're looking into. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about seeking godly counselors. For instance, in Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the absence of counselors, or abundance, excuse me, absence, that totally changed the meaning of the verse, right? But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Look, when you have a big decision to make, talk to people about it. Go to people that you trust. Go to people who have experience in that area and draw from their wisdom. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So if you're planning something, talk to people who can walk you through and give you wise counsel. And then Proverbs 24, 5, a wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might, for by wise guidance you can wage your war in abundance of counselors, there is victory. So you want to find victory in a given decision? Find godly counselors. Talk it through. By the way, that's part of what we do as the body of Christ. One of the things that I've appreciated about small group is we come together in a small group and somebody has a big decision and they're praying for wisdom and they talk and they talk it out and they hear what others in the small group have to say. And wow, I hadn't thought of that. That's, that's an insight I, I hadn't really considered and it can be a great benefit to us as we're making decisions. Oh, options are a blessing. I have talked to so many people who look and they say, oh, I'm so stressed, I have five job offers. Like it's a bad thing. And I always say to them, don't view that as a curse. View it as a blessing and choose the one that seems best. You know, when we look in the book of Genesis, prior to the fall, we find that Adam and Eve were planted in the middle of the Garden of Eden, and there are fruit trees everywhere, and God didn't care which fruit they ate, save one, tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Which, by the way, wasn't an apple, Okay. They could, on any morning, choose, hey, you know what, this morning I'm going to have a pear, but tomorrow I'm going to have a grapefruit. God didn't care. The only one that he cared about was, don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that one. That's my moral will concerning this. But in making your other decisions, choose whatever you like. That's the idea. I think we need to understand that God blesses us with options. So when there are multiple directions that we can head in, don't see that as a bad thing. See that as a blessing from God and give Him thanks for it. Don't look at it and say, oh, God, why are you confusing me? 
look at it and say, God, thank you for so many options. I am so blessed by your hand. See what I'm saying? That's an important truth in making a decision. The other O, others should be factored in. Listen, I can exercise my freedom as a Christian, we saw this earlier in the book of Galatians, to make any decision that falls within the moral boundaries of God's will, but there are other people on planet earth that could be affected by my decision. So I need to think, how is what I'm about to do going to affect this other person? And if it affects them adversely, then I might look at my options and say, no, because of what it will do to my family, to my friend, to my fellow church members. While I have the freedom to make this decision, I choose not to. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul was talking to the church at Philippi, and he was saying, look, <laughs> I'm ready to go home to be with the Lord. He's, he's in a Roman prison, and he's awaiting a decision on whether he'll be executed or not. And this is what he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which Shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is necessary for your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy and faith. So here is the Apostle Paul looking, making a decision about what is best for the church community rather than his own isolated decision. What about the S? Seek God's glory. There are some decisions that we make that we really need to run through that filter. I can do this, but maybe that isn't very glorifying to God. Maybe I need to rethink it because people can misinterpret what I'm doing and it can be hurtful. We find a couple of passages that talk about this. In Colossians 3.17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So something I run through my filter as I'm trying to make a decision is this. Can what I'm about to do be done in the name of Jesus? In other words, would He sign on to it? Would He look at this and say, this is a good thing? And then I also look... And I say, is this something for which I can give thanks? So I need to weigh that out. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So as I am making decisions, I have to ask, is this glorifying? Or will this diminish the view of God in my eyes or in the eyes of someone else? Finally, we come to E, expectantly pray for wisdom. I'm so thankful for James chapter 1, verse 5, that says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So what's it talking about? When I have 
an important decision to make. I'm to go before God and say, God, give me wisdom. Help me to have insight into what brings you glory. Help me to have insight into how this will affect other people. Help me to have insight into what a godly counselor says and weigh it in your word. Help me to have insight into what your word says concerning this. Let me make this decision on the basis of wisdom and understanding. And the promise of God's word is, ask for it and you will have it. God will give you the understanding that you seek in making that decision. This morning, we've run through, very briefly, a model of making decisions when it comes to those big life decisions that aren't necessarily spelled out in God's Word. There are times in my life where I've had decisions to make, and I've thought, oh God, I wish you would just drop a blueprint right in front of me and show me the course that I'm supposed to follow. But I would submit to you that we don't grow that way. The way we grow is seeking God, moving through life, making the most biblical and wise decisions that we can. And here's the kicker. Some of my greatest growth has come from some of my dumbest decisions. Because what happens? God teaches me in that. Being dependent on God means I'm dependent on His Word, that I'm dependent on the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and applying it to my heart, and that I make decisions always open to God redirecting me, but I'm not responsible to discover that redirection. I'm to make the best decision that I can with the information that I have, and then humbly approach God and say, God, if you redirect, you redirect and I will be thankful for that. That's the way we're to approach decision-making when it comes to God. All right, let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank You for this text and the texts that spoke to this issue. I pray, God, that we will be wise in the decisions that we make. May we depend on the leading of Your Word. May we depend on the body of Christ that You've given us May we depend on the principles that were revealed in your word as to how we make right decisions, good decisions. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.